I love that song. It's kind of like Worship Red Bull. I mean, it just really gets you going, gets you in the mood to preach. So it was wonderful. Thank you, Michael. Apparently, I already made my first mistake, so that's good. I got that out of the way. I told you, it was, I said good morning, and it's good night. And so I'm kind of used to preaching in the morning, so <laughs> forgive me on that. Any of you here remember the home you grew up in at all? I mean, just a little bit. I remember, I see the hand waiting in the back. I remember every single detail of the home I grew up in. Hot Springs, Arkansas, 118 Jamestown Drive. I remember the layout. I remember the, the, the parquet, square tiles, the wood floor. I remember everything about that home. But one of the things I remember the most about it is my mom's dishwasher. And why I remember that so much, because her dishwasher was me. Okay? I kind of grew up in the house. And uh, now we did have a, this black box that you could put dishes in and somehow they magically come out clean, but we didn't use that, right? We were a Christian family, so my mom's like, we're not using that Satan magic disc cleaning thing. You're going to wash the dishes, son. And so that's what I did. I grew up washing dishes I after dinner every night. I'm probably exaggerating this. She probably did more of them, but it felt like a lot when I was doing it. And I'd pour me a ton of dish soap and I'd just scrub them all by hand. 18 years of my life, never used a dishwasher. And so I finally graduate from high school, flee my parents, or just leave, not flee, I'm sorry. No, just kidding. Uh, Leave my parents' house. I go to college at Baylor, Baylor University. The first year I'm in a dorm, right? So all we're doing is eating cafeteria food and Wendy's. There are no dishes. Now my sophomore year of college, dishes. They show up and me and my buddy, we love cooking. We had a grill, it was about 12 by 12, and we put it on the patio under the awning. We were bringing every fire code. And we have a little cigarette lighter, a little Bic lighter, and we'd use that. And then we'd take hairspray and go whoosh and just boom, just light up the coals, right? And so we'd cook steak and chicken on that every week. And so one day the dishes were piling up early in my sophomore year, and I was home alone. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a good roommate. I'm going to do the dishes for my roommates, okay? And so I went to do them by hand, and I was like, nuh-uh, not anymore. I had a dishwasher in my college apartment. And so I said, no, we're going to fill it up. And I loaded it up, and then I took the dish soap, and I just filled it up, shut it, locked it, went to my bedroom. About 30 minutes later, my roommate comes in the front door of our apartment, and he goes, what the college vocabulary? And so I come running out to four feet of foam in the kitchen. I mean, it's all over the place. I'm like, what happened? I don't get it. I don't understand. So we used every towel, all of our roommates' clothes to get it, you know, to dry it up. And I remember I look back on that and I go, you know what? I did not know the purpose of dish soap. I didn't know its purpose. And so I misused it, misunderstood it. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We want to talk about what is the purpose of this one thing. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second. But that's what I really want to focus on. What? is its purpose. So just a little practice before we get there. I brought some pictures of kind of some odd tools. And I just want to see if you knew the purpose of these. All right, let's, let's put the first one up there. Anybody know the purpose of this one? I hear some mumblings are thinking about it. It's a tree marker, all right? Because if trees need serial numbers, you can just take that thing and kind of hammer it in, you know? This is how I keep up with kids on mission trips. I'm just like, give me your arm, pop, pop, pop. No, I'm just kidding. So it's a tree marker. Uh, The next one, let's see what it is. What is the purpose of that? Anybody? I think it's a stuffer, like back in the old day when you need to stuff something with cotton, a pillow, and you just kind of poke it in there. So a stuffer. I thought that was pretty interesting. A couple more here. Oh, yeah, I like this one. What is that? 
Believe it or not, it's an ice cream sandwich maker, right? You can kind of see it, the square, the clon. I don't know how you use it, but apparently it's an ice cream sandwich maker. All right, I think we got, oh, this one's dangerous, right? Any thoughts on what that is, the purpose of that? It's a tonsil guillotine, okay? 1860s. You come into the dock and you've got some tonsil problems and we need to take them out for you. Here's what he pulls out. So he kind of puts that in your mouth, lines up your tonsils and shing, you know, just right off they come. Right? Unbelievable. Thank God for modern medicine, okay? We don't have to go through that. I think we got one more here. Here's what we're going to talk about. What is the purpose of God's law? Not just the Decalogue, not just the Ten Commandments. Those are kind of the the first ones, the the summary statement of all the law. And here in a few weeks, Ron's going to start taking you through some of the specific elements. But tonight, I want to say, hey, what is the general overarching purpose of God's law? All 613 of them, 365 do-nots and 248 do's, what is the purpose? I mean, why is he giving this to his people, Israel, to his children. What's he using in it? Now, when we talk about law, I know sometimes laws can get confusing. And sometimes we even, we don't even understand the purpose of laws, okay? So I kind of, you help me out on this. Here's some Texas laws, and maybe you tell me what the purpose of them. Uh, The first one is this. In Texas, it's illegal to sell your eye. Did you know that? It's in the law book. I mean, what's the purpose of that, right? Like you show up to Waterburger and they're like, $8.50. You're like, I got seven and an eyeball? <laughs> like, is that going to work? I don't even know if you can transplant eyes. Can you? Does that work? So you can't sell your eye. Now, your ears, your nose, your lips, sell them all day, but don't sell your eye in Texas. It's against the law. Another crazy law in Texas, and, and again, we're wondering, what's the purpose? It's illegal to shoot a buffalo from the second story of a hotel, Right? Second story of your home, boom, you go for it. Third story of the hotel, boom. But the second story of a hotel, illegal. And you wonder, you're like, really? I mean, what's the purpose of that? Here's some other ones. It's illegal to milk another person's cow. That's just funny to me, right? And I know it's tempting. We live in Flower Mound, and so there's some pasture still left. And maybe on your way to church, you saw a cow. You're like, boy, I just love to run out there and, you know, milk it a little bit. That's why Ron's not here tonight. He got arrested for milking someone's cow. No, just kidding. But why? Well, I mean, really? That's a, that's a law in Texas? I got one more for you. This is specific to El Paso. Anybody from El Paso? No? Okay. I, did I see one? one? There we go. All right. Then you probably know this. In El Paso, it is illegal to appear in public wearing a sensual dress. That's right. You can't do it, right? You're planning a trip to El Paso. Put your miniskirt away. Bring the Mennonite dress, okay? No sensual dresses in El Paso. And so we, we, we wonder, we're like, Really? Well, what's the purpose of that? Now, I know God's law, his 613, his, his commandments, they're not crazy. They're going to make perfect sense to us. There won't be anything weird about God's laws, right? Maybe. Let's look at a few of them. Here's what Leviticus 19.19 19 says. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of materials. So God's like, you know what? Don't mix leopard and cheetah. They're different. Don't you do it, you know? You just wear one or the other. Some other laws that God gives. You shall not round off the hair of your temples nor mar the edges of your beard. God likes ZZ Top, right? He wants long beards, apparently. 
Leviticus 29, for anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother, his blood is upon him. I'm glad I wasn't living during those days. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't be here today, right? And so we sit there and we see these things. We're like, really? That's part of God's law? I mean, what is the purpose in that? What could that possibly be good for? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I believe you and I, we can fully know the purpose of God's law if we understand six aspects about it. Six aspects. So here's the first one, is this. The first aspects of God's law that we need to understand in order to fully know the purpose is that God's law reveals his holiness. God's law reveals his holiness. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Exodus 19. It'll be up on the screen, but feel free to bring out your mobile device. Hardback back. Exodus 19, we're going to start in verse 9 and go through 20. Again, we're thinking about what's the purpose of God's law. And here we see that just the way God's about to give them the law, that's coming in 20. So just look at the way it sets up here in 19. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits around the people saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or even touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the edge of the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with a bow and arrow. Whether it's a beast or a man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now what he's saying there is not just like, oh, a woman 10 feet away, 10 feet. No, no, he's saying don't have sex with a woman. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so all the people in the camp trembled. When Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it like a fire and smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. And then the Lord came down to Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up. This is crazy to me. God's saying, hey, I'm about to give you my law. I'm about to lay my commandments out. But there's some preparation that's got to happen before you get them. And I think what we see in the law is that, man, this is really revealing God's holiness. I mean, did you pick up on all the things that showed God's holiness in there? He said, hey, I'm going to come three days from now. Right? There's this, this extended time of preparation he wants the Israelites to do before he shows up on the scene. I know if you come over to my house, maybe three minutes before you show up, I'll start preparing. I'll be like, oh, this in the drawer, that or the bed. Okay, we're ready. Yeah, welcome. You know, so glad you're here. And God's like, no, no, no. Three minutes of prep is not going to work for me. I want three days of preparation before you come into my presence. 
Imagine if we thought that way today. I mean, on Wednesday, do you start getting giddy? Like, hey, Saturday night church is coming. It's Wednesday. I can't wait, you know. I'm going to pray all day Thursday. You know, get really focused in. Could you imagine what our worship services would be like that? And I know the presence of God is everywhere and he's with us, but man, he's serious about this. Three days of preparation just to get ready for his presence. He says, don't go up on the mountain or you will die. You better put a fence around it because if you touch what I touch, you're gone. That's how much holiness is in God. If he touches it and you touches it, you're out of here. So he's like, hey, warning, stay back. Wash your clothes. I love that, you know. Get that dirt off, you know, clean up a little bit. Don't have sex. He wants all your focus, all your attention on God. Then there's thunder and lightning and trumpets and smoke and fire and earthquakes. I mean, this is how God comes, this kind of volcanic power to the people of Israel. And they are trembling in fear. No one in the Bible sees God and is like, hey, what's up, bro? You know, good to see you. I'm a friend of, no, no, no. They fall on their faces if they're dead. And I wonder again, have we lost some of this holiness attributed to God? It's only, he is only approached by Moses and Aaron. Everyone has to stay back. I mean, God is holy, right? He's set apart. He's different. There is none like him. There is no thing like him. Nothing can compare. He's completely different. And so he's like, hey, my law, what I'm about to give you, it reveals that of me, that I am holy. So with each of these kind of points, these aspects of law, what I wanted to do is just throw out an application question and say maybe we ought to think about this, wonder about this. And so here's the application question for this first point. How Do you approach God? How do you prepare to come into his presence? How did you prepare tonight to be here, to read his word, to pray? It would be interesting if we really looked at how we prepare to come into the presence of God. So just the way he gives his law reveals his holiness. The second aspect of God's law we need to understand in order to fully know the purpose of God's law is this. That God's law reveals God's love languages, love language. And you know what the love languages are, right? Five of them. There's like words of affirmation and gifts and quality time and physical touch and and acts of service, okay? So it's this idea that people receive and give love in different way. It's not the same for each and every person. Take my wife, for example. There she is. Wave, Jamie. I love her. I guess I embarrass her. So Jamie's love language is quality time. Like, that's what she wants. That's how, if I give her quality time, I'm speaking her love language. I'm telling her I love her. I could literally bring home a $10,000 watch and be like, here you go, babe. I love you. And she's going to be like, are you going to sit with me and we'll watch it tick together? You know, like, can we spend some time watching the time? <laughs> that would be what Jamie wants. She doesn't care about the watch. She just wants my presence. And see, for me, I'm words of affirmation. Right? Maybe after the sermon, you're like, hey, Destin, that was a really good sermon. I'd love to just spend all day with you tomorrow. I'd be like, yeah, no, you know? But if you just want to say, add a boy, I'll be like, yeah, all right, you know? And, and so we have different love languages. Have you ever thought about what God's love language is? You ever thought about how God wants to be loved? What matters the most to Him? Is it words of affirmation? You ever tried that with God? Be like, God, you're awesome. He's like, thanks, I know. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 you're, you're holy, you're perfect. He goes, I am. 
that I am. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe words of affirmation isn't really God's love language. I'm sure he appreciates it. Maybe it's not the best. What about gifts? You know, could you imagine giving, giving God a gift? Like, God, here's some flowers. He goes, yeah, I kind of made those and gave those to you. And now, like, you're giving back to me what I gave to you. This is awkward, so let's just kind of move on. <laughs> maybe it's quality time. God would say, yeah, I'm kind of outside of time. I'm everywhere at all time. They're probably not. You can't give me time. I mean, didn't you read the footnotes poem? You know, like, I don't leave you. I pick you up and carry you. Like, I'm always there. Maybe for God, it, it is physical touch. You're like, God, you seem grumpy today. Go ahead, bring it in here. Big hug, big hug. And he's like, no, 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 I will kill you. Like, you, you, literally, you can't touch this, all right? And so what about, what about acts of service? And God goes, yeah, yeah, I like that. God's love language is obedience. God's love language is obedience, and it's all over the Bible. Be holy as I am holy. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. If anyone is in the, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? When you did this for the least of these, you did it for me. Do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. So many times throughout scripture we see that, hey, God's love language is acts of service. It's faithful obedience to him. And his law that he gives us reveals this. I mean, just imagine the Israelite people. They've been delivered 400 years of Egyptian slavery. 400. And God's like, we're getting out of here. And so, boom, the plagues happen. He brings them out. He parts the sea. He gives the, you know, the Egyptians kind of a death bath in the sea. And then they're out. They're escaped, the Israelites. And like, we don't have any food. And God's like, here's food. And so the Israelites should just be overwhelmed with gratefulness overwhelmed with thankfulness. And so they're saying, God, you, you've done all that. How can we show you we love you? And God's like, I'm glad you asked. Here's 613 ways. Here's 613 ways. You can show me that you love me. In Exodus 19, 4 through 6, he talks about this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God's love language is revealed through his law, and that's obedience. And so I think the application question for us is this. How are you and I showing God that we love him? Is it just like this? I'm sure he appreciates that. But I wonder if it's more with actions and doing, obedience and service. Third aspect of God's law that helps us understand the purpose of his law is this. God's law differentiates. It differentiates. So the Israelites, they're about to wander in the desert for a while. They're going to go into the promised land. They're going to have some neighbors, and the neighbors are going to be paying attention to these new people who moved in, right? You do that when new people move in. You're kind of looking at your blinds. What are they driving, you know, when they come home? And that's what the people are going to do. And God said, you know what? I need you to be different. So here's 613 ways to make you different than the people around you. That's what he's using is differentiation. So one of the things he says is, hey, your diet's going to be different. You're not going to eat camels. I don't know. You have camels. Is that even good? You're not going to eat rabbits. You're not going to eat bacon. You're not going to have pig. That's off the menu, okay? 
He says, now let's talk about your clothes. Remember, you're not mixing zebra and leopard skin. It's all one of the same thing. Now let's talk about your work. You're not going to work on the Sabbath. You're going to take a day off. Shabbat, for those guys, it's Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset. And when Jamie and I were in Israel, it's crazy because, yeah, Friday at sunset, boom. It's just, it's quiet. Everybody shuts down the shops. They go home and nothing happens. I mean, you just kind of walk around Jerusalem and there's nothing going on. And then Saturday at sunset, as soon as the sun goes down, Shabbat's over, and they're coming back out. They're opening the stores at 9 p.m. Saturday night just to stay open until 11. But this is still going on today in Jerusalem, is Israel, and God gave it to them. He said, this is going to make you different. And maybe you say, why? I mean, so why? Why does God want Israel to be different than the surrounding people? Well, one reason is this. He wants them to be noticed. He wants people to take notice of them, right? And you notice there's this, there's this one restaurant that closes on one day a week, and it frustrates all of us, okay? The restaurant is, and it closed on, yeah, you take notice. The world takes notice when something is different. God's like, hey, I need you to be different so people will look at you, so people will notice you. Well, why? I mean, okay, we're going to be different so we'd be noticed, but, but why do we want to be noticed? Imagine you had a neighbor, and, and a brand new neighbor just moved in right beside you, and they were totally different from you, totally. I mean, they, they ate different stuff. They kind of stayed up at different hours. They wore different things. You would take notice. You'd kind of be peeking in and looking. But now imagine they just get blessed I mean, like, blessed big time, right? They're just adding stories to their home every week. People are showing up on their front lawn just throwing them money. You know, their relationships are perfect. Their children are perfect. What would you do now? You wouldn't just notice. You would start inquiring, and you might start imitating. And God's like, that's what I want. I want you to be different so you're going to be noticed for the purpose of evangelism. I want to bless you if you keep these laws. This is a conditional covenant. If you keep these laws, I'm going to bless your socks off. And people are going to want in on that. How is that happening? How can I have what you have? So that's one of the reasons of God's laws. He differentiates them for the purpose of evangelism. He even talks about this in Exodus 19.6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. He wants every single person to be a mediator of God's grace to their surrounding neighbors. Application question on this is, how are you and I different from the people around us? I mean, not like a a weird different, but how do you treat your coworkers? How do you talk about your spouse when they're not around? How do you raise your kids? How do you spend your money? What about the media you consume? How do you manage your time? Is that any different than the people around us? And is it any different for the purpose of evangelism? Do people go, wow, that's different. Something's going on there. How do I get in on that? I better move on. I'm feeling kind of convicted myself. (laughs) The fourth aspect of God's law we've got to understand in order to fully know the purpose is this. God's law is diagnostic. It's diagnostic. We're going to jump in the New Testament. Romans 3.20 will kind of give us a, a framework for this. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since, here it is, through the law comes a knowledge of sin. The law exposes spiritual sickness and a need for a savior. Well, how does it do that? Easy. Every time you break it, you realize you're not perfect and you need a savior. And that's part of why the law was given. Hey, this is a diagnostic. God's like, yeah, be holy as I am holy. Here's the law. And oh, you can't do it. That's right, because you're a sinner. And we're like, oh, it seems kind of mean, right? It's like giving a three-year-old a Rubik's Cube and saying, solve that. Oh, you can't because you're an idiot, you know. We wouldn't do that, and that's not what God's doing here. It's, it's more like this. It's more like a placement test. Ben's loving it. <laughs> it's more like a placement test. I took four years, four years of French in high school. I went to high school in Paris, Texas, so I thought, why not? We'll, we'll embrace it. So took four years of French. I go to Baylor, and I uh, show up there, and I say, yes, I'd like to sign up for French Trois. I mean, I was so cool back then in college. And so they're like, great, wonderful. We'd love to put you in French Trois if you just take this placement test. And so I was like, sure, scribbled on it, took the placement test. Then I got the results back, and I failed the test pretty bad. And I realized it, it wasn't, they weren't slapping me in the face. They were just like, you know what? The test was eye-opening because it showed me I wasn't as good as I thought I was, and I wasn't where I needed to be. I had a lot more to go. And that's part of God's law. He's kind of given them this placement test and being like, it's a diagnostic. You're not going to be able to keep it. It's just going to reveal that you're a sinner in need of saving grace. So that's part of what the law is. Even if I had gone back and taken that placement test again and again and again and again, would I have gotten any better at French? No. I would have just realized how bad I was constantly and constantly and constantly. But sometimes people do that, right? They, they run back to rules and they run back to law. And they're like, you know what? If I can just do this rule again, if I can just follow this law again, then I'll be perfect. And all the law is going to do is say, you're not perfect. You need a Savior. And so we've got to move from the diagnostic to the treatment. Our, our friend Matt Chandler, who pastors over here at the Village Church in Flower Mound, he had cancer. And he tells this story talking about the gospel. He said, I came into the doctor one day. They did a CAT scan, and it revealed I had a brain tumor. And he said, now, if I had just gone back and gotten CAT scan after CAT scan after CAT scan after CAT scan, that's not healing me. The CAT scan diagnosed the sickness. It diagnosed the problem, and then I had to move to treatment, which is the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. But so many people, they see the law, they try to keep it, they can't, but then they just run back to it. That's not what it was created for. It's not salvific. So here's our application question. Do you recognize your need for a Savior? Or have you been just trying to be perfect and to be perfect and to be perfect? This ties into our fifth aspects of God's law that we need to understand to fully know the purpose of God's law is this. God's law is insufficient to save. And this floored me. I mean, for the longest time growing up in the church, I thought, well, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Easy. They just kept the law. If they kept the law, they would, they would be saved. And that's wrong. It's dead wrong. So how were they saved? If it's not keeping the law, it's this. People in the Old Testament are saved just the way people in the New Testament are saved today. It has always been and will always be by grace alone through faith alone. The only difference 
is who that faith is placed in. In the Old Testament, it must have been placed in God because Jesus had not yet come. Here in our day and age, that faith must be placed in Jesus Christ. So the the law given to them, it's not sufficient to save. Here are a few verses about this. Romans 3, 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law could not save. So God, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Even in Hebrews 10, there there are verses about this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest who stands there daily doing their service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. The law cannot save. It's not salvific. The purpose is for sanctification not for justification. Justification is being made right with God. Sanctification is being made like God. And that's one of the reasons God gives the law. Even if, even if they kept every single commandment, all 613, it still wouldn't earn their salvation. That's not what the law was set up. It was set up, if you keep these, you get blessed. If you don't keep these, you'll be punished. Salvation is not even on the table. And so for us to think that way, no, no, no. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, they receive salvation. So our application is this. Whom or what are you trusting in for salvation? What are you trusting in for the salvation of your soul? Is it church attendance? Or good works? Being a nice person? Even loving God? All those are good things. But just like the law, they cannot save you. To receive God's free gift of salvation, it's faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. Trusting in him as our Savior. Our sixth and final aspect of God's law that we need to understand to fully know the full purpose is this. That God's law is good. It's good. And we have a psalmist. He writes about this in Psalm 119, 14 through 16. He says, I have rejoiced in your laws as much as riches. And I read that and I'm just like, yeah, right. You know, who does that? Who would say, hey, boss, forget about paying me money. Just just pay me in rules and laws, right? I love law. I love rule more than I love money, right? That's all I need. And that's what he's saying here. He goes on. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I mean, the modern-day kind of translation of this is someone, you kind of go into work or you go home, and they're like, oh, Constitution. I love the Constitution, right? Oh, Bill of Rights is amazing. Oh, don't even, don't even give me money for my birthday. Just give me copies of the Bill of Rights. That's all I want. And the amendments, whoo, don't get me started on the amendments. You would put that person in a loony bin, right? You'd be like, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. But this is what the author is saying. 
I mean, really, who would write something like that? They love the law more than riches? It was probably David. David's sitting there being like, your law is so good. I love it more than all the wealth in the world. Now, how in the world can you say that? I mean, what is going on in this guy's mind that says, you know what? I love rules more than money? Let me tell you a story about my mother that may help us understand what David's thinking here. Kind of tie into Mother's Day. My mom, great woman. She's five foot nothing, 100 pounds, and just like sweet, but she's on the mean side too, right? She got that mama mean side. And so just so you know about me growing up, I was, what's the church word? Demon child, I think is kind of how it works. I mean, I was just, it was awful. I was just a bad, bad kid, right? And so I just pushed buttons all the time. And so, uh, you know, talking about my old house in Hot Springs, Arkansas, we had this stove. I don't know if it wasn't a gas stove. It's not that glass stop. It had those metal coils that just stuck up. Anybody remember those things, right? And ours was so cool because my mom would turn that stove on, and those, those coils just start glowing orange, right? And as a little kid, I'm like, ooh, got to touch. I mean, this is just like this bright, beautiful orange thing, and I'm going for it. And my mom's like, no. And at that moment, I was like, oh, it's on, woman. I'm going to touch that stove. I mean, that's just who I was. Like, I hated authority. I was such a rebel. And so I just waited my time, and she kind of turned her back, and I'd run over to touch her. She's like, no! And I'm like, mmm. She goes, you go sit down at that table. And I remember going to the table, and I remember sitting down, just kind of put my, cross my arms and sit them right here. And I was just watching, mean mugging her. <laughs> Finally, she turned around and took something over to the sink, and I saw my opportunity. So I lifted up, and I ran. I kind of scooted around the kitchen table, and I brought my hand up as high as I could, and I slammed it on the stove, right? And I looked at my mom to be like, ha, and all I could get out was, ah, you know, it was just painful. And my mom's like, that's what you get, you little jerk. Now, she didn't do that, right? She, she, she pulled me up. She put ice on it. She took care of her stupid son, right? And, and here's what later I came to realize is that sometimes – my mom would give me limits because she loved me. Sometimes she would set boundaries to ensure my best. Sometimes she would prohibit me in order to protect me. And I think this is what God's doing here. Sometimes we look at his law and we go, oh, it seems so limiting. And he goes, but I love you. God, it seems so prohibiting, but I'm protecting you. Why all these boundaries? Because I want best. So the word law, I think it's a restrictive word. The Hebrew word is Torah, and that talks about teaching and instruction. And that word Torah, it also kind of has a pictorial image to it. What Torah means is it's imagining God with an outstretched finger saying, this way to life, this way to my best. I think that's what he's saying. So if I had to sum up for you, what's the purpose of the law in four statements? I think it would be this. God is saying, this is who I am, a holy God. This is who you are, a sinful people. This is what you need, saving grace. And this is what I, God, desire, faithful obedience. I think that's the law, reveals his holiness, reveals his love language, 
It differentiates. It's a diagnostic. It's insufficient to save, but it is good. I'm going to pray and we'll continue to worship. Lord, thank you so much for your law. Long time ago, 613, you rolled out to the people of Israel. And so God, as we start studying the laws, Ron and Randy take them through the specifics of it, I pray that this would kind of set up an overarching framework of the purpose of your law, why you gave it. And God, although we're not under that law today or just parts of it, Lord, I pray that there's still great application, great questions we can ask ourselves of how we approach you, how we think about your holiness. God, help us to differentiate ourselves from the secular world, not for the purpose of just being different, but for the purpose of evangelism. God, help us to realize that you're not just trying to limit and prohibit us because you're mean, but you're actually for us. You have our best in mind. You love us. So help us to run towards you and to embrace you. God, you are so good. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray.